Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, we thank you that you have made it possible for us to come together this morning as we move toward the middle of the day. We thank you that your word tells us that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And we praise you. We exalt you. We glorify you. We thank you for the privilege that you've afforded us to be a part of what it is that you are doing in the earth. You said the earth is full of your glory. We ask your God to let that prophetic utterance be manifest. Let it be realized and let us be a part of that realization. We thank you, Lord God. We ask you that you would move in the lives of each of these professionals, move in their homes, move in their professional settings, move, Lord God, in their health, move in their physical and their mental, emotional health. Most of all, move in their spiritual health that they may be whole in every area. We ask you, O God, that you would give them courage, greater courage, greater boldness, greater tenacity, greater stamina. Build them up the more. Build them up the more. Give them clarity of thought. Give them clarity of purpose. And I pray, Lord, that you would be their shield. As you told Abram, fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Let your shielding work take place in their lives. We rebuke every work and every power of the adversary. Be glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God. We welcome the Spirit of the Lord. All right. Well, once again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals. It's an honor to be with you today. Our theme has been based upon the Scripture. The Scripture. Um, Psalm number 34. Psalm number 34, the 34th Psalm, and uh, the third verse, David writes these words, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's a verse that I have used down through the years and others of us have used down through the years and 
much of the time when we have used the verse, we've used it to exhort uh, people to praise and glorify God. That is to lift their hands, to lift their voices in song, to uh, bow down, to dance, to play the instruments. And all of that is absolutely right and absolutely legitimate and accurate in terms of the interpretation of this, this verse. However, to magnify uh, the Lord and exalt him is not just the praise in the sense of clapping hands, lifting hands, playing the instruments, dancing and all of that, singing. But the Bible tells us that we in the book of Ephesians chapter one were chosen by God that we should be to the glory of his praise, be to the praise of his glory rather, that we should be to the praise. In other words, praise is not just something that we do, but praise is who we are. And then not only is praise who we are, but praise is what we show forth. Remember, second, uh, first Peter, second chapter, first Peter, chapter two and verse nine, the Bible says uh, that we are chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him that have called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise is not just uh, an action in a liturgical uh service kind of environment, but praise is our compliment to God, our speaking well of God, not only with our words, but also with our works. Speaking so well of God, in fact, that others are provoked to speak well of him as well. Um, I won't deal with it today, but one of my favorite passages that just lays this out very clearly is in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob is blessing his sons and he gets to Judah and he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. In other words, the word Judah does mean praise, but it's not just the praise that you do. It is also the praise that you provoke. Are you listening? All right. And so this is the purpose of our conversation. Um, this this morning, we uh, took some time and talked about the observances. The observances that are occurring this week. Let's see if I can get quickly get back over um, to those observances. For the month of May. There are some very um, significant and weighty observances throughout this month. May is a very powerful month of observances. Uh, Asian American, date your mate, foster care, lupus awareness, blood pressure, photograph, recommitment, older Americans, Pacific Islander heritage. All of those are significant observances. Somebody says, Brother Blue, why did you mention photograph? Two reasons. Number one, 
those who are photographers, videographers, that is a vital, vital aspect of our culture, a very important uh, uh, profession. We, we would be much poorer with regard to our history, family history, national history, religious history. We would be far poorer if we did not have images of those people who have passed this way before us. Then there are weekly celebrations such as uh, Be Kind to Animals was the first week. There was uh, Nurses Week. And then we're, we're coming upon, this may be the week, National Police Week. And then the final week or the fourth week of the month is Emergency Medical Services Week. And then as we deal with days, um, we're not going to go through all of the days. Um, I mentioned Love a Tree Day is today. And, and that's not, we're not talking about paganism and worshiping nature, but we are talking about the fact that we have a responsibility for nature. We have a responsibility to steward well God's natural creation. Um, then there is, uh, there are a number. One of the ones that I did not mention, that I mentioned rather, but I did not get back to uh, in the first session, and I would encourage you to uh, get the replay for Brother Carlos will post it for us. Um, get the replay of the first session, the 715 session. But uh, on the 20th, on Friday, um, there is Be a Millionaire Day. Be a Millionaire Day. Okay? It is also National Endangered Species Day. Um, and that goes back to what we were saying about being good stewards of nature. We want to make sure that we protect those species. Let me go just a little further and I'll come back to be a millionaire. Uh, Saturday is Armed Forces Day, Armed Forces Day. And we certainly salute all of the military. They are our defenders. They are our security in this nation naturally under God. Then National Waiters and Waitresses Day, those who work in the hospitality industry, particularly in the culinary aspect of hospitality. Not enough can be said for those people who serve us, uh, those people who wait on us. Um, and it is, uh, it is really a significant um, area. And one of the things that we need to understand is that um, there is a deficit. There's a major deficit in the uh, um, restaurant industry in terms of workers. I think many of us have seen the signs, fast food restaurants, as well as the higher end restaurants that um, some of us have been in those restaurants and it, it took us a while to be served because there is a scarcity of workers in that um, profession. And so we, first of all, need to be grateful for those who serve in that profession. And then secondly, we need to be prayerful because you know, there is the assumption that things will always be as they have always been. That assumption is not always accurate. There are some things that we have taken for granted in our culture that really could pass away for us never to see them again as we've once seen them. So let's not take anything or anyone for granted. Uh, Sister Magalveen, I see your uh, very important observance, 32nd wedding anniversary of of uh, Deacon George and Sister Carol McElveen 
on uh, this coming Wednesday. Congratulations in advance. God bless the Michaelvines. She refers to it as one more very important observance. I hear that. I hear that. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to come back, uh, Sister Hayes, uh, foster mother, awesome, awesome. And so we honor foster care this month. That's what I'm saying. It, we, we, we don't take these roles for granted. We don't take these roles for granted, not at all. All right. So um, be a millionaire day. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring that back was because and is because uh, I made some notes. Let me see if I can. Uh, yes, we're, we're going to be talking about this in just a moment. And I have a guest who's definitely going to share with us um, who can speak to this even more powerfully. The theme of this theme of this series is God of the macrocosm. That is, he's God of the big picture. He's God of all things. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The book of the Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11, says, Thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, they are, they exist and were created. You know that blesses me. Did you hear what I read? Well, quoted to you just now, Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four. Let me read that to you. You need this one. Revelation chapter four and uh, verse 11. It says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know what? That means that everything that exists, everything that exists, exists because God willed for them in their purity, you understand, not necessarily as they have become corrupt through sin, but in their purity, everything that exists came into existence by the fiat, by the edict, by the command, by the will and the order of God. And the Bible said they exist for his pleasure. Their existence is his pleasure, but they exist for his pleasure. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, now, Brother Monroe, you're going to bring us the Colossians chapter one. Absolutely so. He is before all things. In him, all things consist. And so, I get excited when I think about it. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. You are professionals, and every one of your professional areas is an area that belongs to God. I don't just mean he owns it. He does own it. I don't just mean he owns it. I mean that he is intimately interested. He is intimately interested and desires to be integrally involved in every sphere. Did you hear me? Whatever your area is, not only does he own it, but he is intimately interested and desires to be integrally involved in every sphere of your influence. Sister Whittington, in the automobile industry, God is 
interested. God is concerned. God is excited about the automotive industry. Sister Flagger, her name came up. Education. Oh, my. If God is involved in any uh, field, he is in the area of education. The Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost is the teacher. He is the teacher. Jesus was addressed in the book of John, uh, chapter 1, chapter 3, all the way down to chapter 20 as rabbi or rabboni. He is the teacher. All right? And so I'm looking, uh, Dr. Pinckney, one of our areas, uh, mental uh, mental health and, and, and special limitations with regard to learning. That's our God. All right. So, so whatever your area is, I see Minister Colvin, health. What did he say his name is? Jehovah Rapha or Rofika. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Somebody says, oh, you're talking about oil and laying on of hands. Oh, my friend, all healing comes from God. Yes, the oil and the handkerchiefs and the laying on of hands and the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom and all. Yeah, all of that comes from God. But so does the surgery. So does the nutrition. So does along with nutrition, diet, exercise, are you listening? It all, he is the healer in every regard. All healing comes from God. All right. Um, back to that millionaire. <laughs> Listen, here is the paradox. <clears throat> here is the paradox with regard to uh, material wealth and godliness. Here is the paradox. If everything belongs to God, then that means material wealth belongs to God as well. I said, if everything belongs to God, then that means that material wealth belongs to God as well. Material wealth belongs to God as well. <clears throat> and in your profession, in your profession, many of you are in line to become materially wealthy. And if you're not in line through your profession to become materially wealthy, you understand that in order for your profession that is your calling to fully be realized, it's going to take material wealth. There is very little there is very little that can be accomplished on the earth that is not augmented, is not undergirded, is not reinforced, heightened, strengthened, accentuated by means of material wealth. Did you hear me? And so sometimes you hear people misquote scripture and say money is the root of all evil. They'll say things like uh, power corrupts or money corrupts. No, no, none of that is scriptural. First of all, the Bible never said that money is the root of all evil, did it? It said the love of money is the root of all evil. And as relates to wealth corrupts and power corrupts, nothing like that is in the Bible. Nothing remotely like that is in the Bible. You know why? Because our God has all wealth and all power. 
And therefore, if wealth and power corrupted, then our God would be utterly corrupt because he is utterly powerful and he is utterly wealthy. No, my dear brothers and sisters, wealth and power do not corrupt. They reveal. Wealth and power simply reveal what's in the heart. They expose what's in the heart. But the reason why I brought this millionaire piece forward is simply this. The paradox is that God not only permits people to be wealthy, and I know I know I can be accused of being a prosperity preacher, a purveyor of the prosperity gospel right here, but I'm going to say it. In fact, I've got one who probably would be accused more, more fervently than I about to come on and join us. But um, listen to me. Not only does God permit people being materially wealthy, he prefers, <laughs> he, he, he wills that people be materially, oh, there he goes, there, they took Brother Blue, now he's a prosperity preacher. No, 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 listen to me well, hear me out, hear me out. It all belongs to God, correct? Secondly, God gave his people not only a faith or a religion, so to speak, a set of ceremonies and rituals, he gave them a culture. He gave his people, I'm talking about his original covenant people, the Hebrews, the Abrahamites, later called the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. He gave them a culture. And he told them from the start, if you obey me, <laughs> if you serve me well, I'm going to cause you to prosper. And that includes material wealth. Now he did. All right. So if that's how he set up his covenant, and remember, every culture has a covenant at its core. Every culture has a core. And in that core lies a covenant. And that covenant typically is, is an arrangement with some deity. All right. That's whether, whether, whether the authentic deity or whether a presumptuous deity, presumed deity. Are you following me? Every culture has a core, has a core set of values, a core set of beliefs. And I'm telling you that the culture uh, that God established had a covenant at its core. And that covenant was that partnership between God and a human being. And God says to that human being, if you obey me, I will cause you in every area I will cause you to prosper. And that includes material wealth. So uh, as I stated, God not only, God not only permits people to be materially wealthy, he actually prefers that people be materially wealthy. Uh, because again, he established it in his covenant. He established it in his covenant. And he knows the nature of human beings. He intends for material wealth to grasp the attention of other human beings to bring those human beings to the foot of his cross. Not only so, but those of you who are educators, better schools, right now, we're in desperate need of better schools, of, of, of more proficient teachers, teachers who are compensated better. How can any of that occur without material wealth? 
I'm just using that one sector of our existence. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I wanted to say. I've got to get our, our guest on. And, and he's he's not only a guest, he is covenant. Listen, here's the thing. There's a passage in Proverbs that can throw someone off because that passage says in Proverbs 23, 4, labor not to be rich. Now, I'm talking about God preferring that you be materially wealthy, and yet there's a statement in the book of Proverbs by the, the richest man who ever lived, uh, uh, labor not to be rich. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here's, here's the paradox. Material wealth is of God, but if material wealth is your purpose, then you will live an empty life. You will never be fulfilled if material wealth is your purpose. Material wealth is intended to be a means, never an end or the end. Material wealth is a means. It is not an end. Let me prove it. And then up comes our, our guest panelist. In the, those of you who are with us, hmm, I think that was either Tuesday night or Thursday. I think it was Tuesday. Someone asked me about, uh, oh, it was Tuesday because it was uh, the, the elder Porsche who asked me about the Jerusalem, which is above as contrasted with the Jerusalem, which is on the earth. And we got a chance to talk about in uh, the gospel, of, uh, excuse me, the Revelation chapter 21, uh, the two new Jerusalems, the, 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 the new Jerusalem and the holy Jerusalem, both of them are above. And what we talked about the fact is the fact that one of them is a city and the other is a city. Okay. The other one is a place. The other is a people. And so everything that God says about the heavenly Jerusalem geographically or in terms of real estate, applies to the people of God spiritually, supernaturally. Okay, bear that in mind. Everything that God says about that city, literally, streets of gold, gates of pearl, so forth, applies to his people spiritually, supernaturally. You got it? Now, here's, here's the point. That city has in it streets, doesn't it? And those streets are made of what? Gold, correct? All right, that gold in scripture represents divinity, the nature of God, but we also know universally that gold represents wealth, material wealth, doesn't it? What is a street? A street is simply a way, a path, a course, a means. What is a street for? It is a way, a path, a course, a means. It is a way to get where you need to go so that you might do what you need to do. That's what a street is. What is a street? It's a way to go where you need to go in order that you might do what you need to do. God says to his people, see material wealth, not as the destination, not as the destiny, but as a way to go where you need to go in order to do what you need to do. And so streets of gold are the child of God who worships the street. Who gets down and kisses the street? You understand? No, no, no. A street is a way to go where you need to go in order to do what you need to do. God says, that's the way I want you to see material wealth. That's the way I want you to see material riches. I want you to see it as a street. I want you to see it as a way to go where you need to go in order to do 
what you need to do. I see you putting it in the comments. I'm going to bring this man of God up. Uh, uh, that's what God intended, Co-Pastor Bellamy and Sister Starborough, a way to go where we need to go in order to do what we need to do. That's what money is in God's mind. That's what it is. The Bible calls it a defense. The Bible, you understand, answers all things. At the end of the day, it is a means. It's not the end. We have, you You see him, you see him. He's an individual who would tend to be accused more vociferously than I, as <laughs> being the prosperity preacher. But ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Bishop Marcus Benjamin, who is our collaborator, chief collaborator under Christ, of course, with us in this, uh, and my wife, uh, but um, uh, with us in this Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals uh, mission. He is a part of this. He is a vital part. And I welcome him. Uh, Bishop, before we shift a little bit, you might uh, <laughs> you might want to give just a comment. Greet the saints in Jesus' name. Well, uh, good afternoon. Uh, listen, I was just sitting there just shaking my head like, Lord, Lord, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Lord help us. Lord help us. I was uh I was I was uh quite um recently accused as of last night accused. <laughs> quite recently, very, very recent. That's recent of, of, of being one of those prosperity preacher guys. And, oh wow. Uh, I always like to engage these conversations. I I really do because we know um, on social media, a lot of times it's not even the person that you're responding to that you're influencing is really the people who are reading the comments yes. that we're having the opportunity to influence. So under certain circumstances, I wouldn't even have given, you know, the thought, the time of day because of how uh, off it was. But again, I if when I do have time, I endeavor to engage in the chat, as they say, because there are people who literally um go to a post and the phrase is i'm just here for the comments <laughs> you know <laughs> that's all they're there for just to see the commentary yeah absolutely so to, to a great extent there's an opportunity for uh uh influence and especially bringing kingdom of god influence and you know bishop one of the people that so well there's so many people who've influenced our perspective in this area i mean outside of just the holy spirit himself uh, Dr. Miles Monroe will certainly be at the top of that list as it relates to the macro conversation. Um, but I want to bring in someone that is not readily familiar within uh, a black uh, faith in kingdom of God context. And this gentleman is uh, is named Rabbi Daniel Lappin, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-A-P-I-N. And I can't even, well, his books are extremely long. So the typical person is never going to read them. <laughs> uh, but if you can find some cliff notes somewhere on the book, uh, Thou Shalt Prosper, if you could just find some cliff notes somewhere, certainly if you can read it, read it. I'm certainly speaking to the audience. But if not, find some cliff notes because it is radical. I read the book first in 2004 and it was just revolutionary. And here's something he said, Bishop. He said, even though we're answering the question about does God want people to be rich, we really have to approach it a different way. And he says, this is what God wants each of us to, to be. 
He said he wants each of us to be preoccupied in serving other people. And he said, if you are preoccupied with serving other people and you learn the value by being preoccupied with serving other people, it's really going to be very difficult for you to never become rich. He said, but most people never become preoccupied with serving God's people. And then he goes on and he uses, you know, I mean, back then he uses several examples. He used Steve Jobs and he used, uh, you know, Bill Gates. He uses, of course, he was, you know, writing from a European Jewish perspective. So his examples are, you know, primarily or exclusively in that context. Uh, so what I'm, what I'm endeavoring to add to what you started off by saying in regarding to uh, uh, Millionaire's Day and so on and so forth, that being a millionaire, building a million dollar business or plus or having a job that, you know, provides, you know, benefits, options and so forth or whatever this even retirement planning and so forth. It's really about service, Bishop. It's really about service it, to your point about the path and yes. you know, streets, you know, paved or made with gold. It's a path to something that yes. money is a path to something. If if Bishop, if I only have one hundred dollars, my options for vacations are limited. Yes. So if true. I've got a thousand, my options have just expanded by nine hundred dollars. Yes. If I've got ten thousand, my options just expanded by nine thousand dollars. If I have a hundred thousand, my options just expanded by. So you get the point is that money creates what a wider path and more options. The absence of money creates a shorter path and a rest and restricted options. So the question, one of the questions that we have to ask is, does God want people to have more options? And I don't think there's anybody, whether they're conservative, quote unquote, whether they're Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, whomever, whatever their theological persuasion is, no one is going to come out of their mouth and intelligently without some form of cognitive dissonance, you know, and say, nah, God doesn't want us to have options. Well, the last time I checked, and Bishop, you're certainly the greater theologian and scholar. He didn't plant one tree in the garden. Come on, sir. And the last I checked, when we read Revelation, there isn't one tree, you know, in uh, the, 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 the Eden that's in heaven, as you were talking about earlier, that every time God planted something, it was always abundantly. Absolutely. He never planted one thing and said, OK, y'all figure out how to make that one thing work. No. When he placed Adam and Eve in the, gar in the garden, the Bible specifically tells, tells us that he planted trees in the garden. Absolutely. And we don't know what that number is, but quite honestly, if we're just looking at the geography of what, you know, the Bible tells us about what Eden looked like and where it was situated, then we can reasonably say that I can go down the street right here, I mean, in Rock Hill to the garden down there, and that plot is probably half an acre. And that half an acre probably has 75 or 100 trees on it. Yes. So if that's what man can do, with a, with a small half acre. And Absolutely. he specifically said of all the trees, all the trees, <laughs> Satan pointed to one. Yes. God said, listen, you have all of these except that one. The enemy yes. says, forget about all of them and focus on this one. <laughs> That's spirit of poverty. Come on, sir. That Come spirit on, sir. of poverty. Bring you options all the way down to one thing. 
And so, Bishop, I just wanted to provide some additional commentary to that point is that one, God wants us preoccupied with serving other people. And if That's we it. are preoccupied with serving other people, we, we find ways to add value to others. And people respond to that value by what? Either paying or sowing. Paying yes. is a fee charged. Yes. Sowing is an honor response too. So people yes. are going to pay or sow in response to the value that's being exchanged because what they're doing is solving a problem. Bishop, for the past almost two and a half years, you've been preoccupied with serving the FKP group in this context, in the terms of the Facebook group coming on the morning edition, you know, the well, the early morning edition, then the mid morning edition, so forth. Faithful and serving. So the question becomes, it's just being honest. If Bishop Michael Blue is being preoccupied with serving God's people, his word, his perspective, his principles, et cetera, that produces measurable outcomes in their life, business or career. Should Michael Blue not be rich? Wow. And the answer simply is yes, because he's preoccupied with serving people in a way that adds measurable, quantifiable value to their life. And in turn, people reciprocate to that measurable, quantifiable value by either sowing or paying for services rendered, which is what Paul said. He said, if a person is giving unto you spiritual things, intangible, but measurable. We know yes. spiritual doesn't mean unreal. It means intangible, but measurable. The yes. wind is intangible, but it's measurable. Oh, yes. There are people who wake up every morning and they watch the news every morning. What's the weather going to be like today? I mean, they, they know the weather more than they know politics. That's, amen. <laughs> Listen, there are people who know the weather like, but wind is intangible, but it's measurable. It's measurable. 60 miles per hour. It's 50 miles per hour. It's 38 miles per hour. It's measurable. So spiritual things that you are imparting and others are imparting, it should produce measurable, quantifiable outcomes. And in return, people should what? So into that because they're experiencing measurable, quantifiable outcomes. And then in business, there are people who provide what? Services, plumbing, electrical, uh, consulting, advisory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, retail. All of these things All are adding that. value to people, improving beauty, improving health, improving wellness, helping us get from point A to point B, air conditioning in our cars, leather seats, heated seats, you know, whatever the scenario. All of these things are value-added products and services to our lives so it's no mistake that if someone is able to do that at a macro level, that Elon Musk is going to be the richest guy on the planet. Now, that's one of the conversation, but, but I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Listen, listen, this, this, this is absolutely correct. Absolutely right. You're adding value. God says to Abraham, I wanted to mention that core covenant of the culture. Yes. Get thee out from thy kindred, yes, thy country, thy father's house into a land that I will show you. Yes, sir. Number one, I will make, make of you, you a great nation. I'm going to use you as the raw material to build people. And that is a principle that applies to all of us who are the seed of Abraham. Yes, sir. God uses us to build people. That's the very first thing he said. I will make of you. I'm going to take what I put in you, take what I taught you, take what I took you through and use that as the raw material to build a people. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, 
you will be a blessing, he said. He said you will be a blessing. All of this is at the core of the culture that Rabbi Lapin is referring to. And of course, that covenant is a covenant between God and man and really between God and God because the God-man yes, is Abraham's representative. Therefore, it is an indissoluble, it is an incontrovertible, it is an unconditional covenant. Yes, sir. It, that, that's what it's referred to yes, theologically, sir. unconditional covenant. All right. So again, th there, there is no way that you can follow. Let me say one more thing about that. And then we've got to go to yes, our sir. matter at hand. But let me lift up one other thing about that. Do you notice, and I say you, I don't mean Bishop Benjamin only. I mean all of us. Do you notice, as I have, that when we study the Bible, Old and New Testament, that when it comes to lifestyle kinds of behaviors, what people eat, uh, domestic order, who's married to whom, children, you don't get a lot of that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you get the, the narrative of the life of Jesus in the Gospels. The one narrative of the apostles exploits some of them in the book of Acts. And the rest of it is mainly doctrinal. Yes, sir. It's, it's mainly the philosophy upon which and the, and the practices upon which the church is built. But we don't get a lot of lifestyle uh, who got engaged and, and who kissed who and all. We don't get that in the New Testament. All of that is in the old. Now, let me ask you this. Did God make a mistake? Did God forget that he was raising up a new people in the new covenant? Did he forget that we needed to know how to live and how to interact with family and how to have a wife and a house and all that kind of thing. Did he forget and leave that out? Absolutely not. It was understood. Good. It was understood, Bishop. It was understood by the early church that when it, when it comes to lifestyle, when it comes to quality of life, standards of living, work ethic, excellence in deportment, that all those things from the old covenant in their purity transferred, translated into the new covenant. So in other words, we don't have to learn about how to hold a job in the new covenant. No, no, just go back to the old covenant and look at Daniel. Go back to the old covenant, look at Joseph. That That's your example. You, you don't... <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? That's what God intended. Jesus said, think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets. He's talking about the, the old covenant system as far as the people's lifestyles. Right. You know, he said, I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. Preacher Monroe has given us our verse. It's Romans 15, 4. The Bible says, for what several things are written for time, yes, are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have an expectation, might have hope. And so the reason why there's a Daniel Center uh, in Charlotte, the reason why there's a Joseph Center in Chicago, the reason why I use Joseph as the quintessential uh, 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 kingdom professional, and, and we've used Job with the X factor, and we've used Esther with... Uh, calculated, consecrated, calculated, and yes, the reason why we use these is because these men and these women are our models. 
minus the fact that they are not redeemed at the time, but they are our models. They are our examples. Now, through the prism of Christ, out of the prism of not being regenerate, through the prism of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying about that is things like industriousness, productivity, and wealth were considered normative under the Abrahamic custom, a culture rep, under the under Abrahamic covenant. Under the Abrahamic covenant, things like productivity and wealth and prosperity and abundance and intergenerational, transgenerational impact. Listen, affecting nations, counseling kings, uh, uh, helping set the destiny of empires, speaking to the future a hundred years, 500 years in the future. That was considered normative in that culture. You understand? Planning is supernatural. Planning is spiritual. God, God set all of that in motion for us. And as kingdom people, which is the whole point of our conversations, as kingdom people, we are challenged to go back and recapture those things that we thought were just nice little Bible stories for the children. Go back and recapture those things that we thought were just good sermon fodder so that we could get a good shot. Bishop, Bishop Michael Blue, I want to say something. Uh, I, I, want to, I want to take everything you said to some, and I'm, and I'm going to say it a certain way that is that's probably going to put me in one of these categories of oh lord <laughs> oh lord oh lord but i want to but from from a cultural vantage point i feel the need to make this statement not at the exclusion of other people but at the inclusion of of legitimate history the old covenant as we read it did not happen within a Euro european framework and context come on with it i think i feel i need to say this because our European brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters have taken these principles and quite honestly, they should because they belong to the world. Yes. They belong to the world. And they have unfortunately branded them as European and as Asian. So when we start talking about productivity, industriousness, uh, business modeling, strategy, planning, et cetera, these words typically are somewhat new or newer to the quote-unquote western african-american as opposed to when we look at the reality that the idea of planning systemization high-level architecture all of that had its origin on what was called the dark continent amen Amen. I want to make sure that's clear because clear? this is our history. And again, the principles of God belong to every people group. Yes, they do. But if we're talking historically, 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 these principles were nurtured on what was called the dark continent. Productivity, innovation, math, science, philosophy. If I had time, I would talk yes. about And Bishop, we, we know Bishop loves Greek uh, mythology and so on and so forth, et cetera. Bishop can tell you much better, better than I can how the Greeks were known for stealing other people's stories and rewriting <laughs> them in their language as if they started it. So we can talk about Pythagoras and Hippocrates and uh, Plato and Aristotle and how they stole wisdom Come on. from Egypt. Come on. 
brought it to Greece, rewrote it, westernized it, come on, westernized it, and made it theirs. So we're talking, <laughs> we're we're talking about concepts that belong to the world. Yes, but historically were incubated among black and brown people. Yes, yes. And so yes. here's the scripture that Paul gave to your point, Bishop, about implicit understanding. Come on, Acts 15. When when Paul is ministering to what was considered the Gentile nations, right? He's out in Asia Minor. He's in Corinth. He's in Ephesus. He's in all these various places. And they're like, hey, man, we got to bring this guy back to Jerusalem to find out what is he preaching and teaching? What is he telling these people? How are they living? Are they keeping Mosaic law? I mean, et cetera, et cetera. And so they bring Paul to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem council, right? To find out what's he preaching, what is he teaching, what's going yes. on? And how do we how do we handle these, quote unquote, non-Jewish Christians? Because the implicit understanding that they had was if y'all are coming to Jesus, the implicit understanding is you are by nature culturally supposed to be Jewish. Come on. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. Meaning this is implicit in their understanding that salvation did not make you a non-Jew. Salvation in some ways is going to make you a Jew. That's right. And they were they were limiting it religiously to, of course, circumcision, keeping of days and so on and so forth. So they had the right understanding, but the wrong application. Come on, sir. Come on, sir. They had the right implicit understanding that you're supposed to be coming back into the framework that God created through Moses. Back into but they were making it ceremonial and religious as opposed to spiritual and revelatory. So here's what they say. To, here's what, what the conclusion was. You guys go back and read the whole thing in First Corinthians, in Acts 15. But here's the conclusion. It says, verse, verse 27, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost yes. to put no greater burden on you than these things. Don't eat food offered to idols or blood or things strangled, fornication. And if you keep yourselves, you do well. Bye-bye. Yes, yes. yes. Hold on for a second. Yes. Hold on for a second. He gave them a list of idolatry yes. and sexual immorality. That's right. And he said, that's it. I'll see y'all later. Yes, sir. Yes, Don't sir. get involved in idolatry. Yes. Which are the cultural practices that are contrary to the will of God, one God worshiping one God. So rebuke and repudiate that. Yes. And have a sacred perspective on sexuality. Yes. If you do those things, y'all going to be all right. Yes. To your point, Bishop, that there was an implicit understanding implicit. of productivity, wealth creation, serving other people, building your life, taking care of your family, doing. There was an implicit understanding. So Paul didn't have to go into all of these details and say, OK, guys, that's why when we read the epistles, even when Paul was dealing with stuff about marriage and this, that and the third, Paul was like, why am I even writing to you guys about this? Well, in that same Acts 15, he, he said they they have they have the. They have Moses taught to them every Sabbath day. So, every so, Sabbath. so he's saying, he's saying all those principles, they are included, not excluded. We just don't have to deal with that. They, we, they already know. They already know that if they obey God in the workspace, if they obey God in the marriage, they're going to prosper. Sir, to our, to our, to our uh, cultural context, we, there's a there's in some instances a theological undoing and in other instances 
there's a theological uncovering. Yes. Because there are certain things that we have to undo that we were taught sincerely, but but inaccurately. It yes. was sincere that we were taught certain things because of the quote unquote traps of wealth or the traps of riches or, you know, various passages in, in Proverbs. One of them you you mentioned earlier about laboring not to be rich. When we sort of pull these pieces out from various places and it's not a it shouldn't become a theology because we're talking about one specific situation. And what happened is we created this theology that in a sense made people, and you've referenced this many times in our conversations, Bishop, that Jesus was coming tonight. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. there's really no need to plan long-term. There's really no need to think about certain things. You know, don't talk about wealth and these things of the flesh and, you know, building this and doing this because, hey, Jesus is coming right now. And in a sense, that type of readiness is appropriate as it yes. relates to righteousness and yes. how we quote unquote understand how we live in this world. Yes. But in terms of the unhealthy aspect, when we have now abandoned our role in the earth, we've, uh, we've forfeited our responsibility and we've accepted, accepted a maintenance mentality as a sacred mentality. And Bishop, I'm Bishop and, and Matthew 25 when Jesus said or using an example about the Lord dropping the dropping the uh, the talents and he came back to the one and said, you should have at least. That's it. You should have at least. Now, we know five made 10, two made four. He, he said you should have at least meaning maintaining what we have been given. God sees that as. According to him, you wicked, wicked. and lazy servant. That maintenance is considered synonymous with wickedness and laziness. That's so what whatever God puts into our hands, a business, a career, a job, a certification, education, beauty, attractiveness, skill with hands, whatever it is that he put in our hands to simply maintain that and not multiply that is synonymous with wickedness and laziness. God because, calls it that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. I'm just saying amen. Yes, sir. Because his image on the inside of us is the primary thing he gave us. So God is saying, OK, I gave you my image and I'm going to use this il illustration to make a point. He gave us his image as the primary raw material. And yes. from his image, we are then supposed to build whatever it is we need to build. Yes. We're supposed to multiply whatever it is we need to multiply. Yes. But the primary raw material is his image on the inside of us. So to simply maintain something is actually contrary to the raw material. To the innate making, to the innate essence of who God made you from the beginning. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting in, not because, oh, sorry. Not because I, I want to. Brothers and sisters who are with us, you know that we're a little bit over the time that we normally invest. I thank you for being with us. We're going to say just a little more about this evening and we're going to release you. Ah, uh, so God. very powerful. So very powerful. If we are faithful to God in our calling, if we're faithful to God in our vocations, if we're faithful to God in our professions, and most of all, if we are faithful to God in our walk with him, learning his wisdom and how that wisdom is applicable, not just on Sunday, but in every arena of life. He will cause us 
to abound. And that abundance will not be its own reward. That abundance will be a further means to go where we need to go in order to do what we need to do. And what did he say? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, I'm going to ask Bishop uh, Benjamin to, to give us another word, a closing word, and then I will come back before you and uh, and we will close. All right. Thank you, Bishop. Yes, sir. Uh, Bishop, thanks for, again, the opportunity tonight and for all the other participants who are a part of this FKP session uh, evening edition. Uh, we're so grateful to that. We're grateful to God for this opportunity. I want to I want to just simply say uh, a few things. Number one, or as a matter of fact, let me give you a few words to drop in the chat or to write down if you're taking notes. The first word is perspective. We hear this from our bishop all the time, perspective, right? And I'm not, not going to go into the full definitions and so forth. Uh, but again, Bishop Blue has been talking about perspective. It's not just what we see. Uh, that's perception, but perspective is how we see. So perspective is how we see. Perception is what we see. Uh, so I want you to just keep that in mind, that perspective is important. Number two, assimilation. Assimilation. Write that word down, assimilation. Assimilation means, it doesn't just mean hearing. Assimilation means you're actually going through a process of integrating what you're hearing with your body of thought. And as you assimilate, you have to eliminate. As you assimilate information, you have to eliminate information, contradictory information, because you're cre you're creating a worldview of how you're going to act, behave, and so forth. So the first one is perspective. The second word is assimilation. And the third word is implementation. That as we have the right perspective, and as we are grasping and going through the process of assimilation, then we have to implement. We have to take what we're learning and put it to practice. You don't wait until you fully figure it out. You don't wait until you fully have it. You don't wait until you fully grasp it. No, the way you assimilate, the way you uh, grow in this is to implement it, meaning this afternoon in your meeting, this evening on your Zoom, tomorrow when you go back to the office, or whatever it is you do for a living, you are implementing it imperfectly, and then little by little, your wisdom and your and your and your execution grows in excellence and strength. So I want you to have those three words: perspective, assimilation, and implementation. Because we're not just ever learning, we're not just ever ever being motivated, we're not just ever being inspired, but we're taking these principles that Bishop is sharing. We're taking these insights that the people that he's bringing in are sharing, and we're asking ourselves, okay, how does that change my perspective? How do I assimilate that into my current body of thought? What do I need to eliminate that is contradictory to this new insight? And then now let's implement this in my business, in my profession, in my practice, whatever I do. How do I implement it? What are the three things I need to do in order to implement this right now? And implementation is going to be imperfect. So don't wait until the perfect opportunity. Don't wait until you have it all together. Don't wait until you try to figure it all out. No, because the greatest among us who learn realize there's so much more that we have to learn. So you're never going to be, you're never going to have it. You have to just keep putting it into practice. And as you do so, your wisdom and your knowledge will grow. God bless you. Thank you, Bishop. Bishop, thank you so much. This morning in the first session, as we close, we talked about the fact that 
FKP is built on five major objectives. And I want to just mention those five to you again. They are perspective, principles, practices, partnership, and posterity. And, and I'll go over them. I know them, but I want to give them to you in that order. Perspective, principles, practices, partnership, and posterity. Just the first one, Bishop mentioned it earlier, perspective. We're closing with this. We look at what's happening in Eastern Europe with Vladimir Putin and his overrunning of Ukraine. Jesus. And it shocks us. It rivets us. We ask ourselves, what is it with this man? What would make him take his forces and line them up on the border of a sovereign nation and just overrun it and cause all of this chaos and mayhem? All right. When you read about Vladimir Putin, when you read those who've studied him, those who've known him, you find that everything we see happening in Ukraine that's being inflicted by Russia is coming not from his military first, not from the tanks and the missiles first. It's coming from his perspective. Yes, sir. Because Vladimir Putin has a view of the world that goes back prior to Perestroika and Gorbachev and the falling of the Berlin Wall and the dismantling of the Soviet bloc. In Vladimir Putin's mind, what's right is USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. In other words, Crimea belongs to USSR. The eastern states that are now sovereign belong to USSR. And Ukraine, Ukraine is not even a nation. Ukraine belongs to USSR. So everything that he's doing to overrun that country is because of his perspective that all of that belongs to his nation or to him or to that regime, former KGB agent, etc. Now, that's the wicked side of it. That's the satanic, the demonic, even occultic. One of his greatest counselors, many uh, know, is actually an occultist, actually a satanist. Now, but look at the parallel. If God's people understood Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. If we have the perspective that all of this that we're discussing belongs to God, that engineering, that mathematics, that medicine, that all the sciences, that all of entertainment, if we have the same passion for righteousness that this man has for wickedness, if we have the same perspective of the kingdom that he has of an empire, then just as he is motivated to take over, we would be motivated to take over, not by force, but by faith, not by force, but by love. The Bible said that he would be great among us be servant of all. We would serve our way into influence. We would serve our way into impact. We would serve our way into dominating many of these things, not coercively dominating, but simply the irresistible power of the love of God who says that I am 
law. It's true. Ladies and gentlemen, perspective, worldview, how you see and interpret the world around you is what is the driver and the primary purpose of FKP and the primary purpose of my calling as a kingdom of God teacher is to help shape the perspective of God's people. Because if we ever get our perspective right, we already have the power. Bishop. If I can, if, if it's okay, can I say one thing? Yes, sir. What a profound parable and example with Vladimir Putin, because that's just so clear that it is this man's worldview, his perspective that's that's driving his actions, and he's using, and even in some cases, some people considering that he's bankrupting the country to follow hard after this particular ideology that at right that at present Ukraine doesn't have a right to exist sovereignly the people Ukrainian people don't even really exist because they're not Ukrainian and as you said that my mind my mind went to and this is right before he said I was like lord you mentioned about we're supposed to dominate by faith we're supposed to we're supposed to take over by faith Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's FKP Evening Edition is about taking over. We don't come in with guns and and, and bombs and shields None and, of ex, and None expletives of and nasty attitudes. And so listen to me. We in, in prayer, we stand before God as our sovereign. In life, in business, we're supposed to be standing as god not god but as god's representative yes because of our competence and our character yes that's it that your competence and your character puts you in a position that people look at you and they revere you because you bring a gravitas to the table that they don't have amen elon musk bill gates Bob Johnson, Robert Smith, uh, uh, and now uh, Pinky Cole down in Atlanta, uh, slutty vegan, but that's not the just they just her company just went to valuation of a hundred million dollars. Bishop, wow. uh, African American female started a vegan, uh, started as a food truck, a vegan food truck in Atlanta that just got a valuation of a hundred million dollars as of Friday. Wow. I don't know her character. I'm just simply speaking about her competence yes. and the influence that comes because of her competence. Yes. That's 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 just simply what I wanted to bring to the table, Bishop. That tonight is a this is a this is how we dominate. We don't dominate through force. We dominate through competence and character. Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen, there is a smear on many people who believe in apostolic truth and so forth where they're being called NAR and, and you know it's they believe that they're trying to take over the world right force people to accept Jesus that's not what I'm talking I don't know I don't know about that I know some things but I know that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ no it's not but what Satan knows and what thinkers know is that there is an ideology that towers over every other ideology it is the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. If men and women embrace that, Jesus, 
it will influence every aspect of everything they touch. Jesus Christ never lifted a sword, never lifted a spear, never was violent, and he calls us to be like him. So we never was coercive, always left the doors open. Choose or reject. Jesus. It's totally up to you. That's what we're talking about. But yes, we have the kind of confidence that God has in God that if people really see him as he is, no other ideology can really compare. Yes, sir. That's what we're talking about. Yes, sir. The, the, the writer of the Song of Solomon said his banner over us is love. And that's it. You're going to serve your way to greatness. You're going to serve your way to influence. Sacrificially serve yourself to being irreplaceable. That's the will of God for us. And that excellence, that competence, all being fueled by character. Jesus. That's where you'll be this evening. Notice that there are seven sessions. Seven sessions. After seven comes the number what? Eight. eight. And that eight represents many tell us resurrection or new beginning. After these seven sessions tonight, we pray that somebody is going to enter into a number eight dimension. Yes, sir. You're going to move into a new beginning. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your prayers and passion and excitement with us. Um, until we meet again this evening, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals and thanking Bishop Marcus Benjamin for being with us, encouraging you to go forth today and lead, make the name of Jesus Christ glorious, make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together we will do what? We will bring pleasure yes. to Christ's heart. Yes, sir. You will bring, we will bring fame yes. to his name. Yes. I saw somebody put the takeover down in the comments. My very first message about the kingdom of God oh, was yes, entitled sir. the takeover. I remember you talking about that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> somebody remember. Until we meet again, may the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.